0: Welcome back to the Reading Blues podcast, the place to find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each week we'll be spending time interviewing people within the community, asking them questions and spending time understanding more about them and more about the school. In this episode we're talking to Head of English Malcolm Stewart. He's going to share with us his own experiences that led him into the world of teaching, whether pupils fit the stereotype of actually not wanting to do English, how to encourage children to do more reading, and whether or not Shakespeare is still such a big deal. But enough from me, you don't want to hear my voice after all, so come with me now while we step into the world of English with Malcolm Stewart. Malcolm, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Schools Podcast. How are you today?
1: No, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, got into school a little later today because I went to the dentist, that's a bit unusual, so I was in for nine rather than up with the lark as I usually am heading to the photocopier first thing. But yeah, no, I'm fine.
0: Was it one of those checkup visits to the dentist or or one of the treatment visits?
1: All the glamour of the hygienist (laughs) done with a little bit of extra glamour this time because I've been fighting the lurgy that's gone round school in the past fortnight since we all came back. So although it's not covid nonetheless we've been wearing our masks for 18 months and have been giving ourselves that protection from all the germs and now things have loosened up a little bit we're facing the reality again of what it's like to be around so many people. Okay
0: well Malcolm we're going to be talking today about English and English within the school community but could you tell me a little bit about your own education so where you went to school what your own experience
1: of school was like? Okay so I went to a private school in Cambridge I consider myself a man of the people but I'm essentially a little bit posh and um, that was an all-boys school and I loved my junior school years, my prep school years, very engaging and creative time and I think I was very successful there and then going into secondary school it was a kind of different experience for me a little, Um, I think partly because it was all boys and my experience was that I think I became properly socialized a little bit later in life because I hadn't had the influence of girls, which would have been, I think, a, a potentially positive influence for me in my, in the school context, you know, obviously, mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not in a family context. And it was a very different educational world back then. I mean, we were taught well, the school absolutely succeeded by its pupils. I think in part it succeeded because it was a selective intake in a university city that had a certain approach to education and the kind of outcomes it intended for its students. But it wasn't anything at all like my own experiences of working in education since, Um, partly because of how we were taught English. It was A very, very different setup and peculiar to the school. Basically, several decades previously, a pioneering English master had decided that the best way to teach English, certainly from years seven to 10, as they now are, uh, years one to four, as they were then, was through the theatrical guild tradition, a mummery tradition of all English lessons really being encountering texts through drama. And so Mm -hmm. any written work you did was done for homework now it would be impossible to imagine such a thing now and i'm i'm certain that the school doesn't do that anymore in fact i I know it doesn't because obviously one needs so much time in lessons to model good writing to clarify the specifics of grammar um, to do proper english teaching but it had thrived in a kind of quirky way on that tradition for a very long time so my experiences Mm -hmm. of English at secondary school were not fulsome when I went into my English teacher training. Things changed a little when we went into the fifth form, now year 11, and we were taught for English literature, but it was still, but that, I have to say, was a very didactic approach, and that was very common to how we were taught at the time. It was a very sort of Socratic dialogue version of teaching in so many of our humanities classes, I would say, and the school itself. I always think this when I look back on it. I think it was quite post-colonial. I mean, there was a sort of tiger rug in the head teacher's study. You know, right. so you just walk on a tiger's head. And now you might think that perhaps might be sending the wrong message. Um, but at the <laughs> time, it was part of. It was sort of part of the tradition of the school which employed some people who had fought in the war you know had been bomber pilots Our French teacher had been another one who'd been a headmaster out in Sierra Leone so even in when this was which was the 1980s into 90s there was a legacy of colonialism slightly and I don't mm. feel that you know At that time, we had made progress sort of pedagogically or philosophically hugely, not least in my part of the world, in my small corner of it, in terms of thinking about ways of teaching beyond those quite traditional, almost slightly university seminar approach dumbed down for lower school years. And Mm. so that was slightly my experience of it. And in common with that, I have to say, I mean, look, it was this very safe space, that school. And... I certainly had the benefit of people in my peer group who were you know, very, very bright and that kind mm-hmm. of uh, competitive ethos and all of that. So from that point of view, it was great. It was not a school where you were thrown to the lions or even to the tiger rug, but it was <laughs> still, there was still a sense of, I don't know how well known we were by our teachers. Mm. we had tutors, but did they really know us or were we just part of a kind of homogenized mass in the classroom that were mm. that were being taught whereas now because of all the changes not just in education but in society since then you know the mm. mental health agenda that you know, we are very strongly aware of the individual needs and difficulties of our students and it's quite impossible really to think of them as a homogenized mass um, you might want to as a teacher because there's, 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 there's an easy benefit, really, to thinking yes. that you're somehow pitching to the middle and mm-hmm. you don't need to think too much. But we have changed. Whereas back then, I mean, looking back on it, and I think I was even aware of it at the time, you know, that feeling of, you know, do these people really know my skills and talents? Hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure they did.
0: So tell me then how your own experience of school, whether positive or negative, those different aspects, how that led to you going into teaching yourself?
1: Well, it wasn't necessarily my own experiences of school. I mean, I years later met um, somebody from my year group at a, a friend's party. He was her neighbour. And he you know, said to me, you know, who did you consider the best teacher in the school? And we both named the same person because there was quite clearly one standout teacher who had the rigour and the oomph and the way of thinking about teaching that kind of elevated things. There was clearly one person, which is not to say that the others were inadequate in any way because they were very far from that. Um, Mm. But I wouldn't say that my story of education is such that there was a particular teacher or a particular experience for me at school that pushed me into teaching. You sometimes get, you know, on Facebook where they try to sort of get your personal information by saying, oh, tell me your, you know, mother's maiden name and your pin code. And you sometimes get questions like, you know, who was the most inspirational teacher? Every person's got one. I'm, like, I'm not entirely sure from <laughs> right. my childhood that I do. I mean, mm. for teachers I think of uh, with affection and great fondness, and particularly in, in my prep school, junior school context, absolutely. Mm. But I'm not sure I do. So that wasn't the motivator for pushing me into teaching. What happened was I um, did very well in my first degree and went to a second university to do an MA, mm-hmm. which I did in modernist literature. And during the course of that, at MA I became very good friends with people and one person particularly in my postgraduate hall of residence mm-hmm. and one of them was teacher a few of them uh, were teacher training and right. the way they spoke about what they were doing what they were learning and the classroom practice they were encountering I found that very very interesting indeed. And it was a bit of a no brainer to me to say, look, you know, I really love my subject. I really love books. I'm really interested in people. I want a job that gives me access to people. Those two things seem to meet quite nicely in teaching. Mm -hmm. And from the way these people are talking about what they've gone through, I'm quite inspired to look a bit further into this.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for giving us that background. That's, That's really interesting. Which universities were they, by the way?
1: So here I am representing Reading Bluecoat. My first university is proudly the University of Reading. This city has always been so good to me. I mean, it's a town, Mm. isn't it? It's not city status yet, but we're pushing for it. What a great place and what a great English department to Mm. study in. And then my Mm. second was York. That's where I did my MA, yeah.
0: So let's take it then into school life for a moment. Do the boys at Reading Bluecoat fit that stereotype of not wanting to do English?
1: Yes and no. They fit some stereotypes. So if I had a pound for every time a parent at parents' evening said, my son doesn't read at home, Mm -hmm. you know, then I'd retire early. So there is that sense in which boys, if they sustained a reading habit up to year seven, say, Mm -hmm. start to fall out of it, there is strongly that sense in which... They can be incredibly articulate in lessons and very, very good in class discussion and then um, falter a little in written work Mm. and find it difficult to extend that. So those those things are absolutely true. You do see those trends in boys and particularly things like, are you proofreading? I mean, Mm. there is, and it's entirely common to them, often a focus can be, I want to finish the task and know it's done. Mm. And then, you know, finish it with relief rather than go back a day later and check it over so those things are true in terms of do they fit the stereotype of not wanting to do English I think what I really like about the school and I've said this a lot is you know given what I've articulated there about my own experiences of school days and being in an all boys school and perhaps that was a school where a certain type of boy or young man was being celebrated even Mm. allowing for that that theatrical mummery tradition I have to say I really don't think it's The case here at Bluecoat, I think our great strength is that we are up until year 11 operating a single sex school in which a variety of different ways of being a boy, being a young man are celebrated. And there is that sense of whoever you are, you will find your tribe. So Hmm. if historically there has been an idea that being a bit bookish, uh, being a bit internal, Um, being a bit introspective or any of those things is not standard boy fare. I think we do strongly resist that.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: we have we have plenty of boys who are very um, creative in their thinking. Um, At this time of year, we always start September with with the lower years, with Key Stage Mm 3, with Mm -hmm. doing creative poetry writing to link to National Poetry Day and that really distinguishes sometimes those people who find poetry an impossible thing or certainly mm. the composition of it to those who do have a particular quirky and unique way of of thinking about the world and expressing that through imagery so those things those things are celebrated mm. but you can tell I'm an english teacher because i'm always on the one hand on the other hand mm-hmm. i tend to sit on fences but it is also true that when it comes to A-level, the majority of our intake is from girls. Mm. So that so something happens, I think, where, you know, I believe we've seen in education over the last 20 years, you know, the rise of the STEM subjects and the idea that um, A-level choices or degree choices have to be strongly um, vocational in a very linear way and pointing you in a specific direction. So mm. if you could do those subjects that directly seem to link to a career Afterwards, then that's to be encouraged rather than perhaps the sense of, look, you know, do what mm. you're best at, do what you enjoy, and present yourself to an employer in the future as someone who is bright, thoughtful, um, hardworking, diligent, disciplined, and eminently employable. It's interesting
0: as well that you mention. Uh, early in your answer about how parents mentioned to you about how their children fall out of love with reading, if anyone's listening to this and they wanted to encourage their their child to do more reading, what could you what could you say to them to encourage them to do just that?
1: What I always tend to say is that it doesn't matter whether they read fiction or nonfiction. It doesn't matter if they read sports journalism or the paper. I mean, it might matter which newspaper they read. There were some mm-hmm. I might discourage. But what matters essentially is that they do read something that has been published and something that requires a degree of time to read over. Obviously, we live in quite a disposable soundbite age and everyone is reading all the time. They're processing information all the time on their phones, on their laptops, on social media. And the trouble with that is not only is it quite quick and disposable, but you're often reading um, arguments or points of view that just haven't been properly proofread or checked or processed so you're not getting exposure to the best writing perhaps or certainly writing that is free of errors um, grammatically Mm. for example so Mm. so long as they're reading something that's published it doesn't matter what it is and Mm. I always say just follow your child's interests and parents uh, have more than enough now to know this you know Mm. they go well my child doesn't really like um, reading novels hugely but they're hugely into football and I've brought them this Know, footballer's autobiography or whatever all of that is sound practice um, mm. obviously we know how it is for children in the teenage years that um, nagging will only take you so far and may very well be presented with a brick wall mm. so coaxing cajoling be ambitious for your children i like it when fathers say you know i'm sharing this book with my child because i loved it i especially like it when they say it's a book they read recently that they're wanting to share rather than something from their own childhood because Mm. sometimes there can be a generation gap there. You know, the father's saying, well, I loved Willard Price. Why doesn't my child? And it's, Mm. well, you know, modes of expression, modes of thinking change and evolve over time. Um, Mm. But, you know, it's great where families are able to share in that way and a book which inspires the child is shared with the adult and vice versa. But what I would also say is it's not easy and it's very, very common. You know, we are a very visually literate generation, even more so than than, than previous. Uh, you know, the ephemeral attraction of what passes in front of our eyes for a second is always going to be distracting to Mm. young people and partly maybe what is needed a little is creating quiet spaces for children in which to read so it's not necessarily about finding the right book parents Mm -hmm. are so eager understandably to find the next series that their child will like because Mm. they then know they've got seven books that they can buy and their child is sorted for three months (laughs) but sometimes it's about finding those quiet spaces in which to Mm -hmm. read because All of our brains are so full, and our children's brains are so full. Uh, Mm. We are an overstimulated generation, and for very good reasons, many parents want to fill up their children's timetables with uh, after-school activities and clubs and interests and all those things which are absolutely enriching. But given the levels of stress and anxiety that there are the whole population of the country as a whole given how uh, coronavirus and uh, you know and actually just the general movement of social trends has exacerbated those things Hmm. one thing that could be really valuable is finding ways of turning off some of those intrusive voices and Hmm. that might not just be turn off the mobile phone or turn off the laptop top Um, obviously that's part of it but it might just be finding quiet spaces in the week Mm. where your child child's rhythms can slow down and they can settle into a pattern of reading
0: gosh that sounds lovely that really does in a busy world that adults tend to live in as well I imagine some of the people listening to this might feel that sounds very attractive
1: for themselves as well and also impossible and we have to forgive ourselves because Mm. as you say we all run on stress we are Mm. all kind of cogs in this capitalist machine that we Mm. always live under the anxiety of I could do more Mm. and Mm. so we have to be forgiving of ourselves as well Mm.
0: now when a lot of adults think back to their own time of learning English at school Shakespeare will probably feature in their memories Uh, is he as good as a lot of English teachers tend to make out? Are we right to give Shakespeare the airtime and the bandwidth that he gets in, in, well, not just modern education, but education over the last however many years?
1: Okay, so there are two answers to that question. (laughs) Okay, The first answer is, I would be against any kind of jingoistic appropriation of a certain view of British culture that celebrate certain cultural figures because Mm -hmm. they belong in a particular tradition, perhaps of dead white men, as more valid than others. And Mm -hmm. I think Shakespeare can be hijacked by that tradition in our society, the Mm -hmm. kind of White Cliffs of Dover narrative by people who don't see necessarily how he is radical or how he is challenging or how he is asking fundamental and profound questions of what it means to be human, but rather see him as representing something that is a version of Britishness that we should all sign up to. Now, I think those Mm. jingoistic narratives are very unpleasant and unhelpful. But Mm. is Shakespeare brilliant? Yes, he absolutely is. You know, I always say that there are three writers in my life whose words come back to me in moments of quietness or give me touchstones by sort of by which to live my life without sounding too pretentious by that mm-hmm. one of them is Sondheim there is uh, no one better writing today in my opinion one of them is T.S. Eliot and one of them is Shakespeare and mm. the, the quality of Shakespeare to articulate all the ambivalence of being human to do so in language that is utterly lyrical and beautiful and which mm. speaks for all the ages is so important and of such benefit to all of us as a culture. Now, does mm. that mean that we should then teach *Timon of Athens to year seven? absolutely not you know Mm. there are some plays which work some that don't and even the plays that work sometimes have to be approached in a particular way because of Mm. course there are aspects of the language and indeed the thinking that are hard to access but as with so many things that are perceived to be difficult if you allow yourself to be carried along in the rhythm of them and I don't just mean the iambic pentameter, I also mean kind of the cognitive rhythms of Shakespeare. But if you mm-hmm. allow yourself to be carried along in the rhythm of them, you will find that you are able to access meaning at some level. It is having an impression on you, even an emotional impression mm. through the lyrical musical qualities of the language and that mm. those things are themselves helpful in accessing the actual literal meaning of the text so is shakespeare mm. hard yes most good things are um mm-hmm. but is it the case that when you find a character in the plays that you connect with you find a speech that speaks real truth to you or you find yourself unexpectedly moved by a situation in his plays Is it all worth it? Absolutely.
0: But in some circles, Shakespeare might be seen as almost elitist. Is there anything we could be doing to make his work more accessible to more people, more enjoyable to more people, just through them being able to understand it more easily?
1: Or is that where English teaching comes in? (laughs) It's partly where English teaching comes in and drama teaching. I mean... I think elitism is a loaded word, isn't it? I mean, I'm slightly resistant to that word, given what's happened in the country over the last five years and how Mm. the idea of experts has been so discredited. I don't think there's anything wrong with being academically ambitious or morally Mm. ambitious or all the things which, you know, Shakespeare requires us to step up our game to meet. For people to say that Shakespeare is elitist... I totally understand it. But that's, again, because of an inherited sense of who he is and who he speaks to. Mm. And as we all know, I mean, it's a cliche, of course, but Shakespeare wasn't writing for one section of society. He wasn't writing for the elite. His sympathies weren't with one section of society over uh, only, I mean, we perceive it as elite because we have this idea of a classical canon in literature. Mm, and there mm. are certain writers within that that we elevate to a kind of demigod status and they seem to us untouchable. But he isn't. Mm. Now, are there ways that we can make him accessible? Sure. And so many English teachers and so many drama c- companies and you know uh, visiting theater workshop groups throughout the years tend to do this sometimes i'm a little bit allergic to if we try to funk up shakespeare too much you know how it can be sometimes with some sort of perceived oh this will get the kids interested activity and i find myself sort of cringing and clenching slightly as these things happen. (laughs) You just want to be good quality in what you do. You know, whatever Mm -hmm. part of the curriculum you're delivering, you want to deliver it with good quality. But an essential part of any teacher's arsenal, not just an English teacher, is engaging in dialogue with the children to understand where they are at, what they can comprehend, not Mm -hmm. to assume a lack of comprehension because you are dumbing down your expectations of them equally Mm. not to assume that everything is known because it isn't but to find Mm. that point whereby you engage in dialogue and say okay great this is what you've understood let's drill into that a bit further
0: Uh, we need to bring this episode to a close in a minute one final quick question would you prefer paper or kindle when you're reading yourself a
1: paper yeah because i'm a book fetishist so many english Mm -hmm. teachers are i don't Mm -hmm. like the spine being bent I don't like the corners of the pages being turned over. I Mm -hmm. do start to have a reaction when the pages start to go yellow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that question that you've just asked is the most true to me of any that you've asked in this podcast. It's like, what will really <laughs> wind Malcolm up? Like, if someone bends <laughs> the pages of his books, um, you know, one uh, students listening to this, there won't be any, of course, but some students listening to this uh, will know that occasionally there is a habit that the students here have in all English classrooms of flipping over the, the spines of the books alternately in Mm -hmm. classrooms on the bookshelves so some are vertical and some are flipped down and it creates this sort of (laughs) concertina effect i find it utterly irritating i shouldn't admit that because it will be done more and more but i do (laughs) um we talk about the value of shakespeare and who we relate to in his plays Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. you know i relate to certain characters for various reasons i relate to king lear i relate to hamlet But most of all, I relate to Prospero. Leave me alone with my books. Just put me on an (laughs) island with my books and I shall be fine. And although I love technology because like anybody else, I have an unhealthy, addictive relationship with my phone. Nonetheless, Mm -hmm. the idea of no Kindle, no laptop and hopefully not too much sun to cause bleach damage to the books. Maybe some cool (laughs) temperatures where they're not going to wither or curl in the heat. That will do Mm -hmm. me.
0: I love it. I really do. Malcolm, thank you for your time being here today. If anyone's heard anything and they wanted to connect with you to ask any questions, what's the best way for, the, for them to get in touch?
1: Email mjs at rbcs.org.uk uh, and they can speak to me there.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for opening this whole world of English, for sharing your thoughts on English, sharing your thoughts on Shakespeare, and sharing your thoughts on what it's like to, to read a collection of books in perfect condition on a desert island. Um, thank you for your time, Malcolm. I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. So that was Malcolm Stewart, Head of English at Reading Bluecoat School. Thank you for coming on to this episode of the podcast, Malcolm. It's great talking all things English with you. Now, for listeners who might like to get in touch with Malcolm, you can email mjs at rbcs.org.uk. And our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you get future notifications. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.